Welcome to One City Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Chris Conley. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. We'll transition into the message. You may be seated. But I just feel led in light of just none of that was orchestrated. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, man, start looking for those and suddenly moments in your life. And suddenly, don't always expect everything to be to go according to plan. You'll miss God's plans if you're always focused on your plans. And suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. This is not just history. This is happening today It's happening in houses of God around this nation. It's happening around the world. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Perhaps, or excuse me, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and a lot of other names that I can't really pronounce well, Egypt and the districts of Libya, yeah, (laughs) Cretans and Arabs, listen, we hear them in our own tongues, watch, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. The only thing that's going to change your family, the only thing that's going to change people in your circle of influence, the only thing that's going to change your neighbors, the only thing that's going to change our city is us speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? I pray for a work of God to occur through us in such a way that the city of Memphis says, what does this mean? See, the greater the battle, the bigger the miracle. And I believe that we spend too much time magnifying the battle. but we need to magnify him as the one who is victorious over the battle. I want to encourage you, stop dwelling on your problems, but rather dwell on him. 
dwell on the things that are good, that are right, that are noble. Do not elevate the problem. Elevate the problem solver. Elevate the promised one. Let's stop living our life as we're just surviving, barely getting by in this Christian life. The God who overthrew Pharaoh and fought for you and has delivered you out of Egypt, it is time for us as a people to move into a promised land. Begin to believe in the promised land. But even more importantly than the promised land is the promised one. This series is called I Am With You, The Promise of a Better Tomorrow. And as we go through the book of Haggai this summer, I want to give you a little bit of historical context today. I probably won't get through all of this message. I'm just kind of setting the foundation for where we're going. But Israel had been in captivity. And they're being allowed to return from 70 years in captivity. From Babylon to their homeland. And all of a sudden, God has, he he raised up a leader in Zerubbabel. And he made Zerubbabel, he was called the prince of captivity. And he became the governor. And then they were under the spiritual guidance of Joshua the high priest. And about 50,000 Jews returned home. And they began rebuilding the temple. Because God's house had fallen into ruins. There's over 3,000 churches in this city. And this is an educated guess, and I used to know the numbers specifically, but I'm sure it's closer to accurate than it is inaccurate, and especially after the pandemic. Before the pandemic, 3,000 churches in this city, and there were less than 50 that were growing. And that's true across the nation. What has happened to the house of God? What has happened to the people of God? We've allowed ourselves to be indifferent. See, the Jews allowed opposition from their neighbors to threaten them, to scare them, to take this incredible decree made by King Cyrus to rebuild the temple, even have the resources to rebuild the temple. They lay the foundation for the temple, then they get scared and they allow their own indifference to cause that temple to lie dormant for 16 years. Anyone ever been to Israel? At some point, we'll lead some trips. So if you hadn't been, you got to make it a priority to go. But it's impossible to go to Israel and not notice the temple. You can't walk around Israel for 16 years and never notice the temple. You can't just walk around and not see and understand the historical magnitude of this temple and 
you walk around it and somehow or another you choose to not care. You're rejecting the home that, was been, that had been given to you. And so God raises up Haggai and Zechariah, commissions them to stir up the people to reorder their spiritual priorities. I want to encourage you to understand what the word first means. It means first. It means second's not even close to first. And it's not what you want to be first. It's seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But what we do is we seek first our kingdom and try to get him to bless it. So we've got to reorder our spiritual priorities. And then he commissioned them to rebuild the temple. So there's five primary messages throughout this book. Number one, he says, consider your ways. And we'll talk more about that today. Because see, he was saying things like, listen, you sow much, but you harvest little. So you're working harder, but you're not necessarily working smarter. And, and you're working for yourself, and because you're working for yourself, you don't have the, the authority and the anointing of God upon your work. You don't have the blessing of God upon your work. And so you're focused on your own house instead of my house, and because of that, your house isn't being blessed. So he says, consider your ways. Number two, he says, build the house. And it's kind of in vogue today for us to de-emphasize the church. Hey, where did that come from? Oh, you're de-emphasizing the bride. Huh. Oh, you're de-emphasizing the family of God. Very interesting. You're de-emphasizing the one that Christ died for. Do you want to de-emphasize your own family? Do you want to de-emphasize your spouse? To de-emphasize the church is to de-emphasize the family that God chooses to glorify himself and reach the world. Do not allow the imperfections of the church to cause your spiritual family to no longer be your spiritual family. Do you want the imperfections of your personal family to disqualify your personal family from being your family? Unfortunately, the vast majority of us would describe our family with some level of dysfunction. The church has some level of dysfunction too. But I don't evaluate the church based upon those who are consumeristic, casual, and convenient. I evaluate the church based upon those who are strong and courageous, based upon those who are worshiping privately and publicly, based upon those who are a living sacrifice for Jesus, and that's their spiritual act of worship. So he says, build the house. He says, because the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And then third, he says, I am with you. Loneliness is not good. Everything in Genesis, he goes, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he goes, it is not good for man to be alone. Loneliness ultimately can only be solved by reconnection with your Savior 
by the indwelling of the Spirit of God and by plugging into the family of God. He says, I am with you. So that's the promise of God's presence. But watch number four. He says, work, for I am with you. (laughs) And Christians, like, we have this fear of the word work as if it's like we're going to focus on good work, salvation. No, that's a different context. As a child of God, as a son or daughter of God, as someone who's supposed to be on mission, get off your butts and work. Hello. No, 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 no. Showing up on Sunday morning, that's not work. That's a privilege. You want to lose your freedom? You want to move to another country where you don't have the privilege to worship? Uh, Serving for an hour or two, that's not work. Seeking first his kingdom, where every part of your life is about him, and everything you do is an expression of him, It's not selective, it's not compartmentalized, it's not optional. Your life is not your life, it does not belong to you. You are not your own, you have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. But what we'll see here is sometimes we shoot the messenger. If I step on your toes a little too much, You just remove yourself. If God doesn't have permission to speak the truth and love to you, who does? If your spiritual mom and dad don't have permission to speak the truth and love to you, who does? If your family doesn't have permission to speak the truth and love to you, who does? I promise you, people who never receive hard truth just end up hardening their heart to the truth. People who don't receive hard truth become their own God. Because see, what they do is they don't adjust their life to the word of God. They adjust the word of God to their life. So he says, work, for I am with you. So, and and this is a little bit of me preaching to the choir. But at the same time, if one of these lands on you, receive it. You know, as a church start, most of you are plugged in, but work is so enjoyable when it's God's work. There's nothing better in the world than a good day's work of doing God's work and at the end of the day being tired and exhausted because you have glorified God through your work. That's a glorious thing. So many times in the world of serving, we, oh, I don't, you know, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. Oh my gosh. Busyness is from the enemy because busyness is the enemy to intimacy with God, intimacy with one another, intimacy in a spouse relationship, intimacy in a friendship relationship, intimacy with family, and we pride ourselves on how busy we are. Was Jesus ever in a rush? Read through the Gospels. His disciples, time and time again, would try to keep him on agenda, on the plan, moving forward, And he would see a person in need and stop for the individual. 
Work, for I am with you. We must co-labor with God. And then lastly, I will make you like a signet ring. What does that mean? The king had a ring on his right hand. And he would use that ring and have an imprint upon it. And he would seal whatever his letter of authority was with the king's seal. And whenever someone, a messenger, was carrying that letter, they're representing the authority of the king. They're representing the favor of the king. And what the king says gets done, and you're going to become like a signet ring where he wants to put his stamp of authority and his anointing upon you, and that when people see you, they see the authority of God, the anointing of God. So what was the result of Haggai's Leadership in prophetic words. The temple was completed in four years. Four years. The temple is extraordinary. Now try to think about all the advantages we have in construction today. And all the machinery we have. And think about still with all of that, kind of the delays that we experience. And yet... What level of work was required in that day and time to complete the temple in four years? This was not something they did in their spare time. This was not something they just commissioned out. So can we see this temple fully restored and alive in our lives again today? In four years. I was reading this and I was doing the research and I felt like there was the favor of God upon what, I was about, what I'm about to say. I didn't feel like it was just a, a nice little parallel. I didn't feel like it was just a, you know, a good idea. I felt like it was an impression from the Spirit of God that in the exact same way that they agreed to move from their spiritual indifference and to have spiritual priorities. In the same way they agreed to quit paying attention to their enemies, and they said, we're going to build the house. What if we can rebuild this house spiritually and physically in the next four years? What if we can build a place where the physical beauty is just a representation of the spiritual beauty? What if we can build a place that's so attractive that people take interest, but when they walk on the campus, there's something about the anointing that exists there that prayers begin to be answered before they even know how to pray the prayer because we've prayed them for them? What if the tremble, our house of God, precedes the way and we begin to become a people of prayer in such a way that literally people from all around the city, people from the Mid-South, people from around the world are moving here. I'll tell you more about this later. We got a couple right now that's going to move here from Cleveland, Ohio to be a part of this work. This week, I've got a Zoom meeting with someone that wants to move here from Australia to be a part of this work. Listen, that doesn't happen. Listen, we're not that impressive right now. That's only the Spirit of God drawing someone. So can we consider our ways and make adjustments? 
See, to consider your ways should be a daily experience. Like the word confession, don't view that word negatively. The word confession just simply means I'm agreeing with God. And and what we have to learn how to do is we have to learn how to take sides with God against ourselves because God's side is better than my side. And so what I'm doing is I'm always considering my ways, evaluating my ways to bring myself into alignment, into agreement with God. And so confession, don't wait for the big thing to go wrong and then you got to confess it. And then you got to go have your version of spiritual surgery. You got to put everything back together. Why don't you keep short accounts with the Lord? See, one of the things I've been learning in recent years and months is I used to go into the presence of God and I would tell him everything. And I put it in spiritual language and it would sound like it should be the right thing. But basically everything I wanted and everything that I thought that he should bless and partner with me on. And then I'd get done with all of my words and I'd say, amen. And I never listened once. One of the things I'm learning now is I go in, I'll put some instrumental music on, I'll literally lay on the floor and I say, God, I'm not going to speak until you speak. I'm only going to speak in response to what you say. And I wait and I listen to the Spirit of God and I let the Spirit of God lead in the prayer and then I respond in the conversation. And see, when he leads in the prayer, when I do have to confess something, it's a very positive thing. Because see, I'm confessing to the most loving, caring, perfect Father in the world who is not pointing out my sin, he's protecting me from my sin. And see, as I pray and I allow him to lead, then he doesn't dwell on my sin, by the way. It's not like, oh, and and did you remember that part? And what about that part? And why do you do that again and again? Like, I just confess, and I don't have to, like, confess 10 different times. Like, I confess and, like, the floodgates of mercy open and pour over me again and again. And the floodgates of grace pour over me again and again. And I'm cleansed, and he's like, Remember the, you know, Isaiah, he says, woe is me, woe, 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 woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm undone. And then all of a sudden, the burning coal comes from the altar, touches his lips, and he goes from woe is me to here am I, send me. And so I don't care where you've been, I don't care what you've done, I don't care how many times you've disappointed yourself disappointed others, feel like you've disappointed God. He can't wait to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to give you the gift of repentance where all of a sudden you turn toward him and then times of refreshing come from the spirit of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So can we consider our ways and make adjustments? Can we build his house spiritually and physically? Can we practice the presence of God? Can we do the work of God? Can we represent the Holy Spirit? We closed on the synagogue on May 17th. I want to speak this into existence. I want to ask the Lord to do this. What if May 17th, 2026, it's fully restored, paid off? He can do it. 
How does he do it? Through us. <laughs> That's through us. Listen, can we become known as a house of healing? Sometime here soon, Marty, Carolyn wrote a song called House of Healing. Some of you have heard it. We've had them sing it over in the synagogue. I'm going to have them start playing that song. We're going to sing our way into the future. We're going to create a new day by singing about that new day. A house of healing. See, the word salvation, the Greek word for that means healing. So it is salvation eternally, but it's salvation that happens in the here and now, the right now, and you experience full healing right now. And then that healing has, is a point-in-time experience with continuing results, and you continue to be healed. And so I know pain. I've had a lot of pain. And I absolutely hate pain. And I hate to see you in pain. I hate to see my children in pain. I hate when the enemy comes to still kill and destroy. And so what I want to see is you be completely free, completely healed. And then watch this. Healed people heal people. Freed people free people. So can we become known as a people who turn mountains to miracles? See, God's been given us songs. Becca wrote that song. And again, I want us to bring it back and begin to sing into this new song he's put into our heart. Because, see, we make the mistake more times than not of thinking mountains to miracle was something that happened yesterday, but it doesn't happen today. We want to see Whatever the mountain is in front of you, not you, not you, just push on it. Didn't move. Mm, Didn't move. We want to get every single one of you join faith. And we think we're going to go, and we didn't. We go, (laughs) in the sea. I'm asking God to move the mountains of broken love. What every person wants more than anything is for love to work. And nothing hurts worse when it doesn't work. And so I'm asking God to move the mountains of broken love. I'm asking God to move the mountains of division. Karen talked about this faith family reunion. And we think, I mean, it's a Saturday. I don't know that I want to go spend my time with a bunch of strangers on a Saturday. It's not your time. Your time belongs to God. You are a steward of that time. And they're not strangers. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we don't do it, if we don't unify, no one else is going to unify for us. Except for. There are other doctrines out there that people unify around the doctrine that gives permission to their sin. Will we move the mountain of religious spirit? Like, ooh, 
I mean, is there anything more ugly than a religious person that isn't known by love? Like, I want to spew you out of my mouth because you know all the truth and you don't obey any of the truth and you make it more difficult for anyone else to come to the truth. Like when we become Pharisees, we travel across land and sea to make one proselyte, one convert, and when we make them one, we make them twice as much a son of hell as ourselves. So whatever we do, let's not be the religious spirit that's known by the rules instead of the relationship and known by the right and the wrong instead of the grace and the mercy. And I want to offer grace upon grace upon grace. See, what if we were known by three things? What if we were known by love, if we were known by being perfected in unity, and we were known by proving that faith works? See, in James, it talks about faith without works is dead. But what if your life, every expression of your life was known by love? What if every expression was known by being a unifier? And what if you prove that our faith's not a historical faith, it's not a blind faith, but it's a faith that blesses people, that elevates people, that beautifies people? Can we be known as a revival and spiritual awakening movement? I dare you to believe it. No, no, like literally. What does it mean, not, not for you to hope that God does something so great in all of us that you can kind of jump on the bandwagon and benefit from it? What does it mean for you to take personal ownership of revival and say, I am revival? I am revival. What does it mean for you to say that with complete and total conviction? What does it mean for your heart to become so head over heels in love with him that you truly do love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, and that every expression of your life is not your life, but it's his life? I dare you, I dare you, literally, to give God your yes. Yes. Amen. 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 Thank you for the courage. And let me say this. That statement just occurred in many hearts. You may not have stood, but you still said it. And there's others that you're still trying to figure out, can I make this promise? It's not a promise you make, it's a gift you receive. And so you just pray and you say, God, give me the spirit of revival. Revive my soul. So let me do this. We'll pick up here next week, but let me close with this. In Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he says, in the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. Do you see that he just documented something? 
So I'm a big journaler. In the second year of King, of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, you might need to write right now, today, this moment. In the sixth month of the year 2022, on the fifth day, I said, I am revival. I gave God my unconditional yes. See, when the Lord speaks, you document that day. The word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts means the Lord of the armies. This people says, oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to lean into this next week, but I just find it comical that the Spirit of God says, oh, let me tell you what I hear this people saying. And so here's what he's about to do. He's going to call our bluff. Because we are really, really good at giving God spiritual answers to disobey him. We're really good at giving him spiritual excuses to not prioritize him. This people says, now watch, the time has not come. Well, how convenient. Even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Well, why hasn't it come? You had a decree from King Cyrus to build. You had the authority of the king. You had the resources of the king. Why does it not come? Because you got scared. Guess who scared them? The Samaritans. Does that bring anything to your mind? Think about the woman at the well. Oh, wait, woman at the well says, wait a second. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then she says, oh, we, we've heard it said that we worship over here in this mountain, but your people worship over in Jerusalem. See, this rift's been going on for a couple hundred years here. See, offenses carry on through the generations. Oh, this people says, time hasn't come. Well, when is the time, and this is where I'm going to land the plane today, for you just to say yes to God? I mean, are we waiting for the stars to align for all the circumstances to come together for you to say yes to God. When it is God's will, that doesn't mean it's easy. When God gives you a word and it is from God, stop expecting and waiting on all the circumstances to line up. You know when the circumstances line up? When you start obeying, the circumstances start changing, and they start stop going from negative to positive, and they start working for you, with you, to advance you. Time hasn't come. I'm not one that dives into a lot of political stuff from the pulpit, Okay. There's times and places for different discussions. But I'm worried about our nation. But I'm not going to criticize our leaders. I'm not going to criticize our government. I'm not going to criticize all the people. Honestly, you want to know where the criticism falls? The church. Because, see, we're the only ones given the power to solve the problem. See, if we would just be the light, the darkness would disappear. If we would just be love, 
hate would disappear. And so let me encourage you in this way. If you are someone that likes to get on your soapbox, and I, I get it, I understand it. I mean, I feel, I told Karen the other day, I feel like it, it scares me. I feel like I am getting old because like I have a temptation to start criticizing all these things. Like, well, in my day, we didn't do that. When I was growing up, that never happened. But what if instead of criticizing others, we took ownership of our own problem? What if we considered it a privilege to be holy again? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Be ye holy as I am holy. Here's what it means. Be set apart as I am set apart. Be unique as I am unique. Be radically different as I am radically different. You're not any different when you begin to complain and gripe just like everyone else. Your complaining and griping is just backed up by Scripture. And... The greatest indictment against the church today is that people don't want to be like us. The people who were most unlike Jesus liked Jesus the most. Jesus offered people compassion without compromise. So here's my word to you today fall in love with the one who is holy. And you'll become holy. Stop making it so difficult. You know, difficult is kind of all the rules. Difficult is all the doing things in your own strength. Did you know salvation, it's a gift of God, right? Saved by faith. Saved by grace. Through faith in Christ alone. That's salvation. Guess what? Sanctification is also a gift of God. We are not going to change, now hear me, just by disciplining ourselves to be better. Though the scripture says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. But desires have to precede disciplines. If your desires aren't stronger, your disciplines will be temporary. But if your desires keep getting stronger, your disciplines will keep getting stronger. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend. And be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.